today and for um, being generous about how badly I messed up our invitation and timing and all of that. I apologize again. It's a delight. Thank you for having me. <laughs> and we are so happy to reconnect with you. Um, Jim and I had the opportunity to work with you in Salt Lake City School District. It felt like 100 years ago. It probably has been almost 10 years, right? Somewhere in that vicinity, yeah. Right after you wrote your Lyft book? How long has that oh, book been published? The first edition or the second? Oh, the second. <laughs> well, it's the second that it was 2015. It was the first one. It was 2009. Oh, I had to be oh. 2009. Yeah. yeah. First edition. Oh. We go way back. What's <laughs> new? What's new in the second edition? I'm just wondering. Do I need uh, to we added a couple chapters and updated it. But even now, like if you go read that, it's what, seven years old? Because the second edition came out seven years ago. So oh, okay. It, Will there be a third? Uh, probably not. Um, just because I probably missed my window for the third. Uh, but, you know, I may eventually do a new book. Um, yeah. I just haven't gotten to it yet. I know. It sounds like you got a lot on your plate. I just saw on LinkedIn that you were, you've been granted a new position in Louisville. I have. So now Tell I have about that. four positions. <laughs> oh, okay. So um, I think a lot of people see it and they think I'm going insane and they may not be wrong. But um, so I am an associate professor of management and entrepreneurship. Last, uh, well, four years ago, I took on the mantle of the academic director of the Project on Positive Leadership. Last year, I became the assistant dean of strategy and innovation for the College of Business. And then actually, I think the announcement came out yesterday, but it's official today is the first day as a uh, the department chair for management and entrepreneurship. Wow. That's I great. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank That's you. So exciting. And how long have you been at University of Louisville? Is that it? This is ironic because today I was in a meeting. I said, I've been here eight years. And one of my colleagues said, no, you've been here nine. And he was right. And I was wrong. So. Oh, wow. <laughs> All right. So nine years. Nine years. Yeah, and they'll just they just add one a new position every two years. It sounds like yeah, about that, right? Excellent. Well, thank you for being here, and um, you do have so much going on. But what we wanted to talk to you today about is your positivity, positive leadership project. Uh, oh, practice positivity. Yeah. Yes. Well, so we call it the project on positive leadership, but okay. that's, we're actually have it under review by the faculty Senate. The goal is for it to be the center on positive leadership and hopefully that will happen. Mm -hmm. And what's, what's the impetus to change, to change it? Uh, because that's what makes it officially university sanctioned okay. uh, when it becomes a center. Okay, uh, cool. So we're actually, none of our activities will change. We'll be doing all the same things. It's just the official sanction. At just that the banner will change. Exactly. Okay. So what do you do? What do you do in the Center on Positive Leadership? Okay, so the Center on Positive Leadership, our mission is to increase positive leadership in the world. And I'll explain what we mean by that in just a minute. But uh, in order to accomplish that, we have a number of activities that we engage in. One is that we... Uh, develop and disseminate instructional tools for people to learn and to train others in positive leadership. Uh, and so we have, I don't know, over two dozen, maybe approaching 30 of them now that are uh, available uh, from our website. And um, all but one of them are free. So we're just uh, disseminating them to the world. And the one that's not free is a 
smartphone app called Leadership Amplifier. You can find it on uh, the App Store or Google Play. And um, <clears throat> it basically creates communities of people who can practice leadership together. And the reason it's uh, what it is, it's it's um, it's free to try out, but there's a subscription base to create communities. And that's just because we have to pay like the server fees and stuff like that to keep it going. Um, and so that's one of the ways that we uh, help spread positive leadership throughout the world. We also uh, support research on the topic. Uh, we do, for example, yearly grants, uh, competitive grants that people um, submit projects where they can either do research or develop new instructional tools. And we, uh, if they win them, we give them $5,000 grants to work on their project. Um, then we also you know, have a number of outreach opportunities that we do where we both bring people into the university and uh, send out um, knowledge and training and, and information about uh, positive leadership to people throughout the world. Um, we have we partner with our executive education program to do executive education training uh, with people as well. And so I'm probably forgetting some things. Oh, one of the other initiatives we have is we've been gathering. So let me now go back to what we mean by positive leadership. If you think about leadership and management as being different things, which um, many people do, uh, one thing I'm actually, I just submitted a paper today uh, to a journal that um, actually talks about that difference and argues that a lot of times when people talk about leadership and management, they talk about leadership is good and management is bad. And we do not take that approach. Like management is how you get stuff done yeah. when you have to coordinate people. Um, and so management is not bad, but uh, if you think about the two is different, management is basically asking other people to do things and they follow you because of your authority. Whereas leadership is exhibiting exceptional virtues like courage, compassion, uh, you know, ambition, humility, and then people follow you because they're inspired or grateful or have other praising emotions like that. And so um, when we say we want to spread positive leadership throughout the world, what we want is for people to exhibit the relevant virtues to a situation with excellence where we're, they do it in an exceptional way so that people notice it and want to follow. And we want more of that happening in the world. And so um, one of the other initiatives we have is we've been gathering virtue experts uh, who are people who um, are researchers or consultants or have expertise on specific virtues. So for example, our first one we recruited is a woman named Vivian Blade, who just, not just, but a little while ago published a book on resilience. And so she's our resilience expert. And we have other ones that we're gathering that are helping us collect instructional tools and, and join us in our mission of spreading positive leadership throughout the world. So there, that that's a, so cool. a mouthful to throw at you there. Well, right off the bat, you have, there's a lot of flashy words in there that you don't often hear when you're talking about leadership and or management. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm really excited to get kind of into those details. Has um, your has the focus of the center or the research foci or the way research is done or the findings of the research, how dramatically has it changed since COVID or because of COVID? Now that's an interesting question. Um, I mean, I'm just saying the last yeah. three years it has been hard to stay positive. Absolutely. Especially no for educators, right? Oh, for sure. For sure. And, yeah. um, 
you know, it's interesting. So I don't know how much the research has changed. If, if um, you know, I don't know specifically of research that comes out yet. And part of that might be because of the timeline for research. You know, it, a lot of research doesn't come out in the two years. I know like pandemic seems like it's been going on forever, but, <laughs> but two years is actually a short timeline for research. And so um, I don't know about that, but I, let me say this instead. Last week, we had uh, our executive education program put on a uh, conference for local business people and others. So there's actually some educators there as well. And um, one of the, basically the idea was, hey, it's been almost two years to the day since the world shut down from COVID. How does leadership look different today? Yeah. And a lot of people gave some really great perspectives. It was a good conference. Um, my thesis in my turn when I spoke was that um, what I started out and I talked about like what's happened in the two years, right? The world shut down, hospitals overflow. We saw the single large, the largest single day stock price drop in the history of the stock market. We saw, you know, the ever given clogged up the Suez Canal and we all supply chains stopped. We saw, you know, like I could go on and on. I mean, like I, I had to stop it because of my presentation would have gone forever, but like the amount of insane news that has happened yeah. in the past two years and a lot of it depressing to your point yeah. um, is crazy. And then after reviewing it, I said, now here's the interesting thing is as long as I've been in my career, people have said the world is moving faster all the time. And if organizations want to succeed, they need to move fast to keep up. And then I said is actually, I want to question that maybe the solution to the world speeding up is we ought to slow down. Maybe what leaders should do is pause, slow down, think about it, and then get back to the fundamentals. And I would argue when it comes to leadership, that's one of the advantages, right? Virtues like courage and honesty and communicate, or not courage and honesty and compassion and humility and ambition. Those are the fundamentals. And not only are they the fundamentals, like stop and think about what it means to exhibit those in this unique situation at this time. If in my school is I'm a principal, what does it mean when this teacher walks into my office crying because, you know, her children have this situation going on or whatever it is, what virtues are relevant? What does it mean to exhibit those with excellence in this situation? I may have to slow down in order to figure that out. Mm. Right. And so that that was the first thought. But then here's the second thought that I think goes with it. If you look, a large percentage of the, the adjectives that we call virtues or nouns, I guess, if, it depends on whether you say courage or courageous, you know, whether it's a noun or an adjective. Um, but a lot of those, they only exist when there's negativity of some kind. Mm-hmm. Right. So courage is something we exhibit when there's risk, when there's danger. Compassion is something that we exhibit when there's suffering. Now that's not true of every single virtue, but yeah, this is a really sucky time for a lot of people. Yeah, that's the technical term. And um, and it, what does that mean? I think that means, so if positivity means, oh, I'm gonna be, you know, put blinders on and say the world's good when it's not good, then yeah, I don't ascribe to that kind of positivity either. Okay. But if positivity means that, I am going to try to be courageous when things are scary and dangerous. If positivity means I'm going to be compassionate when people are suffering. If, if positivity means that I'm going to be honest, even when there's a lot of pressure and, and uh, you know, I'm worried about hurting people's feelings, 
you know, then to me, that's what, that's positivity, right? Now, positivity is also being optimistic. Optimism can be a virtue as well. Mm-hmm. But again, what's the point of optimism if there's nothing negative in your life, right? What really makes optimism a virtue is when you're being optimistic in spite of the troubles. So is there a infinite number of virtues or are there like, is there a limit to... If you look in the dictionary, there are literally hundreds. However, most of them cluster, right, into similar ideas, right? So there's not that much, there is a difference, but the difference between compassion, empathy, love, caring is not as big of a difference as the difference between those things and say courage, bravery, ambition, you know? And so although there's a zillion virtues, they cluster into a small number of, of what you really need to be focusing on at any given time. So the, the teacher that comes into the office and she's crying or he's crying, um, what, yeah, sorry, I guess I shouldn't have assumed a she there. I apologize. No, 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 it's okay. What's, what's the virtue that's in play at that moment? Well, like, well, what would you say so is that... it's a great question. I would say I, I would be, need to be even more specific. Right. So, um, because if I have a history with that teacher or not with that teacher, but with the student, the, the teacher's coming in crying about, or if, you know, whatever it is, there may be different things, right? So in, in one case, so let me use a different example and then come back to teaching, right? In most cases, when I imagine a firefighter, I would say a virtue you need to care about is courage, right? I'm running into a fire and trying to put it out or save somebody or whatever else. However, not every situation that a firefighter goes into is going to involve courage. Some fires are small. Sometimes you're just getting the cat out of the tree, you know, whatever it is. And, and so it's not as relevant. So I think the same thing is true with teaching, although in many ways, teaching is often more nuanced, right? Than, than I don't want to make the firefighters look bad. I, I do think sometimes even fires are nuanced. But when you think about a teacher coming in and you know that his or her personal life is a mess because you know COVID's been a disaster and they have an aging parent at home that is immunocompromised and yet they come in and they've you know bled their heart for their students every day and this one student is you know just belligerently causing problems in the classroom and the teacher just you know has reached their end they can't take it anymore then you're going to not you know the obvious thing you're going to want to do in that situation is compassion However, now let me twist the story just a little bit, right? The teacher comes in, they're reaching their end and whatever else, but you know that this teacher um, has started to justify some things and is also capable of more than he or she has been putting up. In that situation, there may also need to be some honesty with that teacher where you say, I know you're better than you've been, right? That doesn't mean I'm going to stop being compassionate, but now I've added more nuance to it. And so um, one of the other things that sometimes we talk about, and this is also apropos to the current moment we're living in, but every virtue becomes a vice when you have too much or too little of it. Mm. And that becomes particularly salient when we don't consider all the relevant virtues for a situation. So think for a moment about, and so as a result, you can have leadership and leadership where people are following you because they're inspired by the virtues that you're exhibiting. And it's still not positive because you've left out some important virtues or you've, or people are following you, even though you've taken a virtue too far. So Mm -hmm. Vladimir Putin, right? 
I don't know how reliable the data is, but the data suggests that there's a lot of people in Russia who think what he's doing is a good thing, right? I don't know what the numbers are. I don't know how much you can even trust those numbers, but let's imagine that they're inspired because he stands up to foreign powers. He wants to make Russia what it used to be in terms of its glory, you know, and so they see him as brave and ambitious and all these things. And in a world where Russia's, you know, had a lot of hard times, those aren't necessarily bad virtues. But when we take out compassion and empathy and respect for other people and all the other virtues that he ought to be showing, then even though he's leading and even though some people may feel inspired by him, it's not positive leadership. In fact, it's quite negative, right? Now, that's a huge, you know, geopolitical (laughs) example of leadership. But the same thing can be true in schools is that people can be, you know, this, you can have a really ambitious uh, principal who comes in and is trying to run a turnaround and the ambitions are good. They may be even ambitious for the students, you know, and want those scores. But if you run all over and stomp on your teachers in the process to accomplish that, you're having some virtues at the expense of other virtues. And so. Interesting. So that was one of my, the first questions that came to mind as I was preparing for our discussion is, how does a leader stay positive? And I love your phrase, seek excellence in the virtues um, and still challenge mediocrity or challenge status quo or challenge institutional racism, right? Challenge these teachers that have, have created a, well, the whole, not just teachers, but an institution that has created more comfort for the adults than mm-hmm. for the students. How do you balance those things because they seem to be in conflict with each other. Oh, absolutely. In fact, I think that's when this really becomes critical, right? Is when you have these difficult, complex, intertwined you know, situations where you don't know what to do and you're trying to tease it apart. And so, you know, you mentioned earlier my book, Lift. We didn't talk about it in terms of virtues when you wrote that, when we wrote that book, but the idea was you need to be other focused internally directed, purpose-centered, and um, externally open. Well, if I was to rename that in terms of virtues, I would say you need to be ambitious, which is purpose-centered. You need to be uh, other-focused, that's love. You need to be um, externally open. You could say that's humility, right? Open to feedback and learning. And uh, internally directed, that's about integrity or courage, depending on the situation, how you define it. And the reason why that worked as a model is because you can take any situation. And, you know, earlier we said, are there all these virtues? Well, when you cluster them, they come to a small number. Those are small clusters that get you at a wide range of of virtues by that, you know, small set of clusters. So I gave you an abstract answer there. Let me get, you know, much more specific. Um, We'll take, you know, you're talking about institutional racism and, and, or even just, you know, the um, classism or, or even within a school, like, you know, favoring teachers over students or students over teachers and, you know, those kinds of tensions. Um, What I need to do, there's two levels I would think about this if I was, let's say, a school principal. One is on an interpersonal level, right? So each time I go into a a classroom, I'm going to ask myself, all right, what's the most ambitious thing I can accomplish in this one hour while I'm observing a teacher? 
what's it, how am I going to make sure I'm loving towards the teacher and towards the students and towards their parents who aren't even there while I'm in this, right? And I'm going to walk through and ask myself these questions. What about humble? What do I need to learn and make sure I'm not assuming that since I'm the principal, I'm the expert and I know everything, you know, there could be things I could learn from the students and the teachers in this uh, observational period. Um, and then, you know, is Am I being honest and, and courageous in my honesty when I talk to the students and the teachers and I, you know, give the feedback and those sorts of things? Well, those questions are giving me a lot of nuance if I'm really taking all of them seriously. Whereas if I just walk in with one of those questions, I'm probably going to mess up some of the other things, you know, when I, I approach that situation. Um, so that's the first level is what, how do I manage interpersonally? That's where the leadership is interpersonal. The other uh, level is in the structures that we're talking okay. about. And so when I sit down, I say, okay, what's our agenda going to be for this school year? Or we walk in, we have, I realize, you know what, we have some problems because the reward structures in our school district are actually undermining our efforts to accomplish X with the school. All right. Well, if I was going to design this reward structure with the most ambitious goals in mind, in a way that the rewards are loving and considerate of the people, you know, and boom, I'm walking through the same, you know, uh, the, the virtues that are relevant to this situation. Those questions change how I go about designing the reward structure or whatever the system or structure or policy or procedure is that I'm working mm -hmm. on. Um, I have one other image that keeps coming to my mind for me as I talk about this, and it's not exactly a teaching example, but I think you'll see the relevance uh, given your question there. There was a book that a colleague of mine, Adam Grant, published during the pandemic. It's called uh, uh, Think Again. Highly recommend it. All right, you're nodding. Have you read it, Jim? No, but I, I'm familiar with Adam Grant. I'm a big fan. Who's um, not? Great. <laughs> hey, if you know him, do you want to tell him about our little humble podcast, podcast? and see if he probably doesn't have, you know, much to do in the next year or so. So <laughs> well, I'm I'm happy to mention you to him if you'd like. So. Um so but if uh, you get a chance to read the book, he tells a story in there about, uh, I'm going to forget the name. There's a gentleman, I think his name is Daryl something. It's embarrassing. I can't remember it, but a fabulous story from his book. Uh, African-American fellow was playing a jazz, uh, playing jazz one night at a bar or something like that. And um, this guy, you know, after his set, you know, motions him over to come talk to him. And he makes some comment about like, he can't believe, you know, a black pe person can play that well. And he's like, what are you talking about? Turns out he ends up having a conversation with this guy who's actually a member of the Ku Klux Klan who invited him over to share his, you know, table with him. Wow. And, you know, when the guy says, well, I'm in the, in the Klan, you know, Daryl just starts laughing. Like, I mean, what else are you going to do in that situation? I mean, maybe run in fear, I guess, is the other right. option. <laughs> but it turns out that he just starts asking him these questions, you know, like that, and I'll explain the example in a moment, but, um, you know, long story short, Daryl basically convinces this guy to leave the clan and to give up a lot of his prejudice beliefs. And in fact, the guy introduces to him to his friends and Daryl actually, by the time, you know, Adam wrote about a story and I don't know where Adam got it from. I didn't check the, the resources, uh, the, or the sources for it, but by the time the story finishes, um, Daryl has basically gotten something like 200 men to leave the Ku Klux Klan. Some of them are like grand wizards or whatever else. Mm -hmm. And like 
some of them even invite Daryl to be like the godfather to their uh, children and things like this. So like, you know, this huge effect. And then one of the things Adam unpacks is like the strategies that Daryl used, whether he, you know, intended to professionally or not to get these people to think again about what their beliefs were. And they're um, powerful, simple, but really hard to learn things. Like, for example, one of them that, you know, um, you know, immediately struck me is uh, he asked a quite a lot of us when you imagine yourself meeting someone from the Ku Klux Klan and you think if you have the presence of mind to ask questions, right, most of us would go straight to arguing or leaving or whatever else. But if you have the presence of mind to ask questions, the first question a lot of us would ask is, why do you believe in the Ku Klux Klan? And Adam points out that's the wrong question, right? Because if you say why, then they're going to explain themselves and the justification is actually going to calcify their beliefs. Mm -hmm. Instead, like one of the suggestions is ask them, how did you come to believe that? And it seems like it's a, such a, you know, similar question, but actually the question makes them see the problems and inconsistencies of how, you know, well, the reason I came to believe that was because I grew up in a white family with a bunch of other people who are racist and I never saw anything that convinced me otherwise. And so I just accepted that belief. And well, now that I think about that, that's not a really great basis for having a life belief, you know, sort of thing. Well, why do I bring that all up? First of all, because you mentioned institutionalized racism. So that's probably one of the reasons why it popped in my head. But the other is because that's the kind of subtlety that you develop when you're really thinking not just how am I going to convince someone, but how am I going to achieve an ambitious outcome where I love even not only my friends who are black, but even this Ku Klux Klan member who's sitting in front of me, where I'm going to be honest with them and honest with myself, right? And I start pulling this apart. You can't do that without a lot of nuance. Right? If I just say, oh, how am I going to be honest in this situation with none of the other questions, I can walk all over the nuance. But once I start putting all these questions together, I can't do it without being nuanced about what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Mm. Wow, that's really powerful. I love that. So do, do read the vir- book. Okay, I will. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Do, do virtues, um, are they different based upon background or race or, you know, country of origin or religion gender gender yeah <laughs> so i mean all of those things i mean are they do they differ based i mean have you done any studies about that so let me um let me alter your question just a little bit if i may so i think what it is is do our our virtues different that just depends on if you believe in an objective world or a subjective or an intersubjective world right on the other hand if we ask the question, does what a virtue means and does what a virtue mean in this situation differ for every individual? And is that difference affected somewhat by gender or race or culture or nationality or whatever else? Yes, absolutely. So one thing that ethicists, well, at least some ethicists would say about this is that in a pluralistic world where people have different perceptions about what virtues mean, that you need to have what... um, Ed Freeman and uh, calls uh, conversational ethics, or what? Um, oh, there's a I'm forgetting the name of some other philosophers, but they talk about it as, as a democratic ethics. But the idea is, is that we don't know absolute truth and morality. 
we're learning it and we have to learn it together in a pluralistic society. And therefore, I have to approach you with a willingness to say, here's what I think courage is, but what do you think it is? And I'm going to be as critical of myself as I am of your perspective with the goal of learning to be better at it. And so there's kind of an implicit assumption there. I can always learn more about how to be courageous. I can always learn more about how to be humble. And so that means I have to be equally critical of your perspective and of my perspective, no excuses, right? And be willing to learn. And I'm going to get it wrong sometimes. But if I maintain that willingness to learn and to say, all right, here's what I think courage means in this situation. What do you think? All right. In this case, maybe you're the one who's right. It sounds, I, I have to admit, I feel like I'm kind of justifying myself here, right? And that I'm constantly seeking that improvement. Then we learn together what it means. So there is not one, that means we don't accept that there's one correct, always right answer. It means that there's a democratic, pluralistic learning process we're always engaging in. It doesn't mean we throw away ethics, right? Once we do that, then we're all messed up. It means that, so assuming that there isn't one right answer doesn't mean that like the world has become situational ethics and people can do whatever they want to do. It means we actually have to think harder and engage each other more critically if we're going to do this with excellence. But so, how do I lead? How do I lead with ambition or love or humility, integrity, courage, if that definition is so ambiguous or so negotiable? Um, I wouldn't say it is so negotiable, right? Okay. I think you have a pretty good idea of what it means in most situations that you encounter. If you're like me, you probably fail at it sometimes too. Like I fell a little short of what I'd like to think of myself in this situation. Um, and so that means like, I actually often do have higher standards than even I meet myself if I'm really honest with myself. That being said, what I'm saying is, I think most of the time, most of us know what we should do in these situations, but not all the time. And most of us live in some degree of self-deception. And so there has to be this willingness. It doesn't mean that we're constantly examining ourselves and constantly changing. It'd be hard to live life that way. But if you encounter conflict with somebody else, you're saying, I'm trying to do this honest thing. And they say, that's not honest. Then the onus is on me to listen and see, are they right in their criticism of me? Mm -hmm. So are those things discussed and practiced in your center, like in the program that you have? Do people have the opportunity to kind of go through those crucial conversations with each other? That's, that's what we aim to accomplish in our, our mm -hmm. sessions, right? And so often what we'll do, and you're familiar with this from back when we used to do stuff together, is um, it's not always cases, but often we'll give cases. And I often will do many cases, right? Where, you know, here's a specific scenario. What... What do you see of this virtue in this scenario? Where is it, where is it well ex, uh, exemplified? Where, are they, where could they do better? And then the critical question comes when you start turning it, you say, all right, how can you relate to this? What does this look like in your life? Mm -hmm. And you start really you know, digging into it in that way. And, and the idea is to get conversation because even though as a, an instructor, I have some expertise on the topic, my expertise is going to get in the way if people don't engage in the kind of self-reflection they need to figure out what this means for them in their lives. Mm -hmm. And so what is the demographic of those who participate in your sessions and in your program? 
Oh, well, so I teach at all kinds of levels. So, you know, in executive education, it's often business executives, but I also teach undergrads and MBA students. And, and then like, for example, is it next week or the week after, you know, there's a health system that's asked me to come over and talk to them. I, I almost, I uh, got a phone call back in January. Yeah, it was January from William, you know, and I hadn't heard from William Robinson at the uh-huh. uh, Partners for Leadership and Education. I hadn't heard from him in probably two or three years. And he's like, I need your help, but I couldn't. It was, I actually had uh, another trip planned the week you needed me to go. But, um, mm. uh, you know, it's, I, I would be anxious to get out with uh, educators again as well. It's, yeah. it's been probably two years since I was last, uh, actually, isn't that interesting? That coincides somewhat with a pandemic now that I think about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, do you have, is there some kind of positive leadership certification that like people, I mean, besides the, the students that you work with specifically, like how do I become a, a more positive leader? Yeah. So um, right now we do have a certificate program that we offer in executive education at the university of Virginia. Um, I, we don't, that's the only thing we're offering at the moment. I would like to roll it out, you know, in a broader way. It'd be nice if we could, um, you know, create some like asynchronous online offerings or things like that. But, but at the moment, all we have, it is a certification program and we do, offer um the certification for completing the program but um it's only at uva no no i'm at university of louisville okay you said i think i thought you said uva so i was like wait what okay that makes more sense you guys are bringing out all these associations (laughs) (laughs) okay and then your website what's your website Oh, well, the project's website is business.louisville.edu slash ppl Okay, we like to make sure our listeners have resource to all this. Absolutely. You, and before we finish, will you tell a little bit about the leadership amplifier? That seems really cool. Something that, yeah, just what a great opportunity. Yeah. Well, so I'm um, definitely, you know, just go to your Google Play or your uh, app store and type, you know, push on the search button and type in leadership amplifier and you can check it out for yourself there. But basically the idea is, is that, um, you know, there's two... I'm going to way oversimplify here. And this is going to be really embarrassing because I'm talking to educators when I say this, but there's two ways to learn. <laughs> right. Oh yeah, just two. There you go, Ryan. And by that, what I mean, <laughs> right, is, and uh, again, way overgeneralizing, but learning from your own experience and learning from others' experience. Okay. And um, so to help people, what the app does to help people learn from their own experience is it says, First of all, it just has you pick events, right? And you can even pick them directly from the calendar on your phone and say, what's an event coming up where you want to practice leadership? And so you click on the event and then walks you through and asks you questions like, all right, what virtue are you going to practice? Here's some questions to help you think about how you might practice it. And you make a plan and you post it. And then you um, ask or you can ask for feedback because that's learning from others, but, you know, and then you try it out and you report on it and it sends you a little reminder, make sure you write your report. And so that makes you reflect on how it went. And, and so you engage this learning process of practice, just like practicing the piano or basketball or something like that is, you know, it's not just doing it over and over again, but doing it over and over again with thinking about what should I do differently? How should I do it better? That kind of thing. But then also what we do is we've created the app to be, a kind of a social platform. And so what you do is you do it as communities of practice who all want to practice leadership together. 
And so once I engage in this planning process, what I can also do is post it and say, hey, give me feedback, everybody. And they can give you feedback and you can read their plans and take ideas from them. And so it's a, lear a learning community. So we'll use this in class sometimes and the students can help each other out as they practice this you know, throughout class. Um, and one of the other things that's been fun about it is as a teacher, students are putting in real things from their lives where they're really trying to practice these things. And so as a teacher, I can get on and give them feedback and be like, have you thought about trying it this way or trying it that way and, and you know, working through it. And so that's, it's basically, that's what it is. It's trying to create a community of practice for people can try it out together and practice leadership together. That sounds um, awesome. I love that. You know, my second question in preparation was, would a realistic pessimist survive in your program? And then I actually, <laughs> I was like, oh dear. I need to be more positive. So I crossed out survived and wrote thrive. Excellent. I love so it. So with a realistic pessimist, I don't know who I'm, you know, I have a friend who is a realistic <laughs> pessimist. Um, would she survive in your program? But I am convinced now that she <laughs> definitely would. Like these are things that, you know, just I, when I left Salt Lake City School District, it was really painful and I just wanted, I think the last five years as I've been consulting, I really have been working on love. Um, I took a class from Stanford online about love and it was the, all the different kinds of love. And um, I just really like want to convey that to people as I challenge them and as I push them and as I fight for justice, as I will for the rest of my life. And so this just sounds like, man, something I'm really interested in because I love that reflective practice and really thinking about all the virtues that you talked about. Um, you know, and I've had people say like, wow, I have never felt so vulnerable in a learning opportunity as I have this year with you. And it's just been a great time. And for people to be like, I felt vulnerable, I've learned and I've had fun, I'm like, yeah, it doesn't get better than that. I'm so happy for you. That sounds amazing. Yeah. And yeah. look at you. I mean, what awesome ways to like continue developing yourself as well. Good job. Yeah. So yeah. I should add one other thing about the app, if I may. Yeah. Um, sure. And that is that um, we're actually looking for a corporate partner to help take over the app. And like, mm -hmm. you know, and the reason why is because universities are so bureaucratic and have so many rules about like these things. And, and, it's just not what universities normally do. And so they really struggle, like, how are we making sense of you? And so, for example, one of, <laughs> one of their rules is that we're only allowed to publish it as a US app. Well, that's horrible oh. when like you have students in your classroom who bought their phone in another country. And so then they can't participate in the community. And oh. if we have a corporation running it, then they don't have those kind of limitations that a university does. And so, so um, we have like, I, it's, I love the app. I think it's great. We, we keep improving it, you know, whatever else. But um, I think there's so much more we can do with it if we can find that partner. So, yeah. um, so even if you, if your listeners try it out and they say, oh, I like it, but I don't like this, hang with us. Because if we can find that partner, it's just going to keep getting better. Yeah, That's good I point. love that. It's a mashup, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> an app and a university. It's an it's a total mashup. <laughs> so 
anyway, but the more cool thing was you sharing what you've done and, and, and you're uh, both developing yourself and developing others. I love that so much. Well, and that's part of why I love that Jim asked me to do this podcast because he's one of my good friend colleagues that we can equally rumble with each other and we can disagree <laughs> and we still know that, you know, we have each other's back. So it's been a really fun opportunity to, to learn with each other and to be able to talk to all of you. So thank you again so much for joining so, us. This has you. been great. So I, I feel like, you know, I... <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like this research that you've been doing has come so far since we last even heard from you. So oh, you good. Know, it, since uh, we got the book lift at, in Salt Lake City School District and flew some planes and, um, yeah. you know, it was <laughs> oh the good old days. <laughs> I'm not sure I was completely ready for, for what you had to share. And I think that now it's just like really resonating with me. So thank you. Well, that's awesome. Thank you. It's been a, a, it's just fun to get together. And so I hope we get to do it again sometime. Yeah. Next time you get a new position, your fifth one, um, <laughs> add it to your plate like or you have, yeah, or you have a new book, then we will reach out to you. But if you ever want to just discuss anything, then let us know. I, I'll leave you with the question. Okay. But we won't answer right now. I don't even, Jim's like, we really said we were going to cut this off. I know Jim. I'm cutting it off, but I'm going to leave you with a question, Ryan, and I would love to have you come back and talk to us about this question. So don't answer it today. Okay. You mentioned in the very beginning that there's been this shift um, from talking about manager to leader and management to leadership. And uh, that has particularly been true in education as well, right? So a principal is supposed to be an instructional leader, not just a manager. Um, and yeah, it's gone too far, like manager, bad leadership, good. So we agree. We still have to manage things, but we have this compelling instructional leadership. That is our job. But I am wondering if that shift is to what extent is that shift due to the inclusiveness of women and people of color into leadership? Mm. So my question, you're not, you want to answer, don't no, answer. No, I actually want to ask a follow-up question, but okay, I won't. Okay, you can ask I'm a follow-up question. Oh, so I, <laughs> I'm allowed to. Jim, is this okay? Go right ahead. <laughs> All right, so tell me why that's a question for you. Like so you, when you said, you know, there's this instructional leadership model, but it might be different for women or people of color. Tell me what makes you ask that question. No, no, no. Not it might be different for men or, okay. or women or people of color. I am wondering just broadly when the conversation about leaders shifted from talking about leaders as managers to talking about leaders as leaders, mm -hmm. to what extent did that shift coincide with more women becoming leaders, more people of color becoming leaders, and perhaps they are the ones who set the ball rolling in a new direction. Interesting. Okay. That's, that's just a, a wondering that I have. Okay. All right. So we'll, we'll have you back in a couple months and you can answer that question. I'm sure yeah. you'll do a lot of thinking again, you and Adam Grant, so much time <laughs> on your hands. So. <laughs> awesome. Sounds great. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much, much, Ryan, for joining us. All right. Take care. Good to talk. Good to catch up. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah.
Congratulations. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Bye. Bye. -bye.